Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Crystal Glanchai, and our opportunity to talk about our young girls. They're just so smart and amazing, and sadly, too much of this is lost as they get school age and fall into some kind of pressure to not be so smart and amazing. While Dr. Crystal Glanchai had a much different experience growing up and is completely about being smart and knowing that she is quite capable of doing things in the world. And one of these major things is her dedication to help girls really fulfill their potential. Much of her work can be found in her new book, Venture Girls, Raising Girls to Be Tomorrow's Leaders, and she joins us now. Dr. Crystal Glanchai, good morning, and thank you ever so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled. I'm inspired and excited to be able to share you and your work and your making available so many opportunities for all of us, really every single one of us, with the focus of this primarily on our young women, on our girls, our daughters, and of course, the rest of the family and and the brothers as well. But the real focus here being that the book is called Venture Girls, is really that eye towards girls. Because what have you discovered in uh, your lifetime of not necessarily personally, because you've done great things, but what do you find with girls and education? Yeah, just, you know, as a college professor, I noticed that a lot of the girls or young women in my engineering and entrepreneurship classes had really already lost that confidence. You know, they were afraid to raise their hand or they were intimidated that there were so many boys in the class. If they were getting C's, you know, they would come to me and say that they couldn't do it and they were going to drop out. Whereas the boys would just say, ah, it's a C, it's, it's, you know, part of school. So just really noticing that girls really lost that confidence and then having a desire to start teaching girls at age four and five um, to be comfortable with STEM and to have an entrepreneurial mindset in order to give them the confidence and courage to kind of get through those junior high years and and build more girls who were going to be leaders in STEM and whatever fields they wanted to pursue. So it is interesting that despite uh, the challenges, that there still are these young women who've decided to venture forth into engineering classes at the university level, but they seem to be tentative about doing that. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it's just because there's not a critical mass yet of of girls in these programs. And, you know, this even goes back to when they're young, you know, looking at at media, only 12% of STEM characters are female. So girls just aren't necessarily seeing themselves in these positions. And the girls who maybe are motivated because of their parents or for whatever reason are getting up to these higher levels, but then there's this dearth and lack of women and lack of um, encouragement So it still is a problem, especially as you get up into the higher levels. And so your big focus, of course, is to start really young because you've discovered that girls at that age just have all that curiosity and desire to do all this exploring and feel confident about it. Yeah, I mean, the great thing is that kids at that age are are natural geniuses. You know, 98% of them have this, this creative genius and they're they're not afraid yet. They haven't quite been, you know, educated out of that creativity. And 74% of girls in the kindergarten are interested in STEM. But then unfortunately, by the time you get to fifth and sixth grade, it's gone down to, you know, maybe 17 to 20%. 
Um, so I think if you can really teach them at a young age, you know, starting at four and five even, we're able to, you know, shape their brains. We're able to change their, their synapses and really build up these strong and confident brains. So, of course, that is exciting, uh, really beyond words in a way, that we can do that for our young girls so that there is that confidence and that they are using that talent, that uh, gift that they came to this world with, that they'll be able to really put that into the whole process and, and do great things in the world. And that's something that I, I talk about in the book, too, is growth mindset. And, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But neuroscience has actually taught us the opposite, is that you can. Even even at older ages, we can still change uh, the shape of our brain and learn new things. So it's starting at a young age with girls and really getting them to do things that are out of their comfort zone and just giving them small wins, you know, getting them curious, taking them out to the park to look for fossils or just observing nature, um, but really trying to encourage them um, to just try all sorts of things. And this book, this wonderful new book, Venture Girls, Raising Girls to Be Tomorrow's Leaders, really is filled with experiences, uh, both of what to try, but of what has been done and, and features stories. So it's a great source of inspiration for parents, for teachers, for anyone who's uh, taking time working with girls, especially, you know, if we think about now and summer activities, uh, more of an open slate to work with. Yeah. And the thing that I love, I think, is that for me, entrepreneurship really brings STEM to life. It, it shows girls that they can apply what they're learning to real world problems. And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily listen to our kids' ideas, right? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, honey, that's a great idea. Or, oh, that's a silly idea. But we don't actually take the time to go through the whole process. And that's what I love about teaching girls this entrepreneurial mindset is that they can come up with an idea and you as a parent or a teacher can actually help go through that process with them and say, okay, well, how can we actually turn this idea into something real, whether it's a product or service, and who can we go and talk to about this, and how can you actually take it out and help people on the planet? Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I'm really passionate about, and that's what I love. And it's, of course, building such a brighter, uh, more positive and productive world, in a way, for the future by having these young women who have well, they're starting out as young girls, that they have these visions that really can make this big difference and make the world a better place. And I think, too, like, while I am passionate about STEM, I don't think all kids need to go into STEM, but I think we all need a, a basic understanding of it because in the future, everything's going to be technologically enabled. But even teaching kids, you know, so we had a group of girls who were five who got in trouble for eating their Play-Doh. And, you know, we talked to them about, okay, well, how can we solve this problem? And the girl said, well, if we make it out of food, we won't get in trouble. So they ended up going out and doing market research and found out like the favorite flavors were a strawberry. And I think it was like chocolate chip cookie dough and peanut butter. They ended up making their Play-Doh, packaging it and selling it to their parents. So it's just teaching them those steps. And even though it's not STEM related, it's just showing them the whole entrepreneurial concept that if they do have an idea later on, whether it's something more technical or not, but just showing them that they can take their idea and turn it into something real, I think, is extremely beneficial and really builds up their confidence. Oh, absolutely. And on the side, though, of it being STEM and with the technology part of it, 
what I found rather heartening is because we we say we don't want our kids sitting in front of that computer and, and playing those video games, you know, uh, just for hours on end. So yeah. so to see, though, how they can use it in a constructive way, that's what I see happening is really such a, a great service. Yeah. So, I mean, even if, you know, you have 3D printing, so teaching kids how to make their own products or solve their own problems by 3D printing. Or, you know, we had a girl who was really passionate about obesity and we helped her create an app um, because there are a lot of really cool apps on the phone that can help kids develop their own games. Instead of just sitting and staring at a game, they can actually develop, develop their own game using coding skills. So it's really teaching the kids how to, to work with and create technology as opposed to just, yeah, sitting in front of a, a screen playing video games. So on your website, which is VentureLabs.org, correct? Yeah, VentureLab.org. So there, I did see actually a, a video clip of that young girl. I, I was just amazed at how articulate she was in explaining what she had done. That she had this passion, though, that she saw where obesity was such a problem. She wanted to find a way to to make a difference, to really change the direction of that. So seeing that passion and finding a way to make it happen like she could make a difference in the world, I mean, that is, that's exhilarating. Yeah, and I think that's what's so great about teaching entrepreneurship is that it, it shows people there there's another option. They, they can actually feel empowered to solve problems or to invent and to create. And with Estrella, the girl that you're, that you're mentioning, I mean, she came in, you know, just like all the other girls, you know, slightly timid. And we make them present and talk in front of people all the time so that by the time they are finally ready to present their idea to the world, they've had all this practice, like standing in front of an encouraging audience. And I think just giving girls the ability to stand up confidently and explain their ideas and uh, persuade people of their ideas is an amazing gift for them. So it's thrilling. The website is, again, another great resource and a a source of encouragement. And with the book and with the resource of of your website, this is a way that parents and teachers and anyone working with, with girls, with kids, would be able to find the resources to adapt this to their own situation, right? Yeah. So we just have little activities in the back of the chapters and also on the website as well that you could do in home, you could do in school, um, and then also a, a lot of tips on like just experimentation, whether you're at home looking up cool YouTube science channels or you're experimenting with cooking. So there's all sorts of like easy, simple stuff that you can do around the house. You know, if it's making uh, eggs out of different colors, maybe it's experimenting making different types of smoothies, or maybe you just make a little simple maker space in the corner of your house. There's just a a ton of tips and activities that you can do in the household or in school. And how long have you been working with this program? I think with the young girl in the video, she was mentioning 2013? Yeah, I started Venture Lab in 2013. Um, Before that, I had been teaching at the college at at Trinity University and just started teaching my own four-year-old girl at the time. And that's really what led to the start of Venture Lab. And so it started out small, or did you have any challenges attracting the kids to come to it? 
You know, we actually didn't. I think it was the right time. I think parents were looking for things for their girls to do, things that were more STEM-oriented, more innovative. Because um, I, I started out as girl-only summer camps. And it was interesting because then the parents started wanting their boys to attend, too. So we developed co-ed camps. Um, and then schools started wanting the programming. So it was it was interesting to see the, the transformation of the, the curriculum. So that's an interesting thing, having been and created it to be co-ed, yet having your experience of seeing the older uh, girls at university level being more timid in class, at that younger age, having the boys introduced, was there a difference in in how they uh, saw themselves and how they responded in the class type of learning situation? Yeah, there actually was. So... When I first introduced co-ed, um, at the, so we had elementary school camps, junior high camps, and high school camps. And at the elementary school level, the girls became a lot more timid. They were not raising their hand as much. Um, they weren't speaking up. Um, the boys would typically um, interrupt them. So I noticed for the co-ed camps or the elementary school camps that I, I felt like girls got more out of it being in a girl-only environment. Um, by the time I got to junior high and high school, um, I think it was good to have the girls in. I didn't notice that so much. I, I think a lot of the girls that I had in those classes um, already had a little bit of built-up confidence. But I do feel like starting at that young age, having that girl-only camp environment was really beneficial to the girls. So th- perhaps that's a, a path to consider uh, maintaining is to having the girls on their own initially to establish that confidence that, you know, they're encouraging each other rather than maybe mm-hmm. allowing for the boys to, to take the lead. Yeah, and I feel like it was a safe environment for them to uh, express their feelings, to say their ideas, um there was a lot more uh, collaboration and taking turns. So it, I think it just felt like a more safe environment for the girls to to be able to kind of uh, stand up and, and talk about their ideas. So you started this, you said, in terms of your daughter who was four at the time. Is this still something that she is in, interested in? Is she pursuing STEM? Uh, well, yeah, I've got four kids. I've got two boys and two girls. And they are now 9, 9, 9, and 11. Um, so for me, it's really about um, making sure kids are following their strengths, but being entrepreneurial at the same time. So one of my daughters wants to be a robotics engineer. Uh, my other daughter wants to be a veterinarian. My son wants to be a biotech engineer. I think that's what he said. <laughs> and the other one, I think, wants to be um, something involved with drama. So maybe... <laughs> a screenwriter or a producer. <laughs> All of which are wonderful. So the majority, though, are tending into the sciences, uh, although very creative, and, and, and have these great dreams. And I think it's because I, I just want to expose them to everything and show them how, how technology or how engineering can help others. And I think once they see how they can solve these problems and, and how, you know, biotech or how robotics is really affecting people's everyday lives. It just really engages them. And I know it's probably silly, but, you know, I talk about this in my book, but something you can do at home is even, you know, encouraging failure or at dinner saying, what did you fail at today? So really trying to like challenge kids and serving as a role model, even as a parent saying, oh gosh, I really messed up on this today. 
this is how I'm going to overcome it. Um, and then sometimes we even do math problems around the dinner table. But it, I think it's because I love math and I just show them that it's not something that's super intimidating. And you just it takes practice. You can start with baby steps and then continue on from there. Let's kind of move back to that word failure. Uh, it's surfaced, actually, interestingly, a number of times, like within the last week, on the role of failure in our life and, and what it means. Uh, so often it has this negative connotation, like, oh, no, we can't fail. But, but you're saying mm-hmm. we need to look at it differently. Yeah, I mean, I think right now, well, girls in particular... Uh, suffer a lot from perfectionism and the uh, imposter syndrome. So even as adults, sometimes I, I question, oh, am I, am I really good enough? Am I an expert? And I think this is something that girls learn at a very young age. So, and even I would say all students, right? You have to get the perfect days to get into the right college, to get the right job, and failure is not an option. But I think you really learn the most from failure. And for me, failure is part of the scientific method. You're testing a hypothesis. And it either works or doesn't work. But you don't take that personally. You go back and you try a different solution until you get the right outcome. Um, So it's really about practicing and practicing and trying new things until you get the solution you want. And I think right now, as you said, in our society, it's a a stigma. It's something you shouldn't be doing. But if we're not failing, I don't think we're really learning or challenging ourselves. Or or being completely honest because it's, can we ever really just uh, without can we ever really just really come to the point of creating something perfect no instantly yeah. right it's it's not it doesn't happen that way when i tell my kids too it's it's like riding a bike or, or a baby right <laughs> if babies just like stopped walking or didn't even try because they're like oh i failed i can't walk <laughs> you know we wouldn't get anywhere if the kids you know tried to ride their bike and fell down and said oh i can't do it so it's kind of like, I just tell them, it's like riding a bike. Which is a, a great metaphor. If we can go back to that, it's like, oh, yeah, remember, I, I, I stumbled when I was a baby. I kept falling down and I'd get up. Let's do that again. Yeah. Right? Yep. yeah. So that is a, definitely a great lesson. Uh, and it happens in the experience of trying different things. That doesn't mean... Uh, you know, when a, a test comes along, if I fail, well, it's okay. That's that's not quite yeah. the idea. Well, I think, too, with girls in particular that, I, that I've noticed, even at the college level, you know, if, if they come back with a B or even a C, well, definitely a C, but, you know, they've already, they think they failed because they didn't get that A. So it, that goes a bit back to the growth mindset of saying, oh, you know, you worked really hard on that. And all you have to do is study and try again. So instead of saying, oh, perfect, like if we're always telling our kids, perfect, you got an A, or oh, you're so great, you're so perfect, like we're, we're instilling them with this idea that they cannot change who they are, that they have innate capabilities. But if we're praising their effort, saying, oh, you're such a hard worker, you tried really hard, you know, you got a B or C this time, but we'll just practice some more. Um, I, so I think it's really about changing that messaging and the way we talk to our kids about um, – what they're struggling with. And you're saying that uh, the practice, perhaps getting a tutor to help to really focus in on those uh, kind of irksome or troublesome areas in order to accomplish it, again, that that really builds uh, confidence. Yeah, whether it's a tutor or going into school early to talk to the teacher, 
Um, just making sure that, and that takes confidence and courage too, right? To go up to your teacher, to go and ask someone for help. Um, and I think that serves them later in life too, if they're struggling, like having that ability to say, oh, you know, I didn't do so great. I may need help, you know, or if you're working in a team later on and, you know, you, you're not an expert in everything. You have to go seek out help from someone else who has a different expertise. So that's just another, another skill that I think is important for them to learn. So, Crystal, it's really interesting how you came to this work because you were observing it as a professor in your classes. But for yourself, you grew up in a family where your your father treated you and your sisters in such a way that, you know, you could do everything that he did and and he coached you along and, and taught you. So when you went to college, it, it wasn't, I'm assuming, an intimidating experience for you. Uh, no, I guess the way my dad raised us, I, I really saw no difference between boys and girls. And I mean, in my undergrad mechanical engineering class, there were probably only about five girls in the classes, but I, I never really did um, feel intimidated. And I think that's because my dad did tell us we could do everything. He would, you know, if we wanted a dollhouse, he had us help, it, help him build it. He taught us how to change the tire, change the oil in the car, uh, electrical work, housing work. Um, yeah, so I think that's something important that I learned that I wanted to pass on to others is just, you know, exposing your girls to all these things, having them building, having them create, um, telling them that they can do anything boys can. I think it's just those encouraging messages and, and empowering girls with the ability to help create things and solve their own problems is, is extremely important. And so exciting really opens up these incredible pathways for them and, and the opportunities because it's really discouraging to think that here could be some this young woman who could be the answer to some huge question, but she feels uh, pulled back in class or that she isn't good enough to go down mm-hmm. that road. I mean, how how terrible for the world for all of us. And I think that's why I really wanted to start at four and five pre like pre kids going to kindergarten is because I felt that if if I could teach girls to take their ideas, turn them into products and services and potentially companies, it doesn't have to be a company. But if they had built up that confidence that when they started kindergarten or they went to school and someone said, oh, well, girls can't do that or, oh, well, maybe you're not a math person, that they could just come back and say, hey, well, I already three printed this. I already created a company. Um, I can do anything. So it's really giving the girls that confidence that they can do anything even before they start school. Absolutely. And here it is. It's not as though then we need to reinvent or figure out how to do this. You're have already done this investigation just, uh, you know, being the mother of necessity. You have the results here. It makes it easy for us to have a copy of Venture Girls, Raising Girls to Be Tomorrow's Leaders, using the website. Uh, It it really pretty much sets it out there as a, a pattern that we can just pick up and adapt to our own needs. Yeah, and I, I wanted it to be not intimidating because I feel like a lot of people are already intimidated by STEM and a lot of people are intimidated by the word entrepreneurship. So I just wanted to have a way to even empower parents and teachers to feel like they themselves can teach their kids these fun and engaging STEM, con- STEM concepts and have <clears throat> kind of a guide to going through that entrepreneurial process. I mean, I think we are all entrepreneurial at heart. 
And I think we can also teach ourselves and our children to have that mindset. It is very exciting. And when you think about the advances that have happened even just in the last decade, it is mind-boggling. But it's happened even if the parents of those people who are doing this creation had no idea how to do it. They provided the environment. Isn't that what's critical? Yeah, I think having an environment that is um, safe for experimentation, that is safe for failure, um, an environment that encourages creativity. Um, I always talk about a story about, you know, my parents when I was little, I, I took apart my parents' rotary telephone uh, back when those were a thing. And, you know, instead of getting mad at me, they, they spent the time to, to talk about all the pieces and how they worked. And then we put it back together again. So I even talk about that with, with my kids and other parents. Is like if you have something around the house that's broken or, you know, something that you might want to just take apart and talk about how it works and then put it back together again. It's just it's a great learning experience, and it teaches kids about, about curiosity, about how things work. And, and then how they might build something, because as you were mentioning, here in our world with the robotics now, it, it's, it's in every single aspect of, of what we do. And I, I think right now what comes to mind is seeing a news story about a, a young girl who was born without fingers and she has a robotic hand. Yeah. Right? That kind of thing. Yeah. And so we, we have an experiment like that or an activity where kids actually make a robotic hand, but it's not out of, you know, real robotic pieces. It's out of cardboard and, um, what is it, cardboard and straws. But they can use their imagination to imagine that that would be a robotic hand and come up with a use for it. So I think that's the thing that I really like, too, is all of these activities are you can do at home with simple materials, but using a little bit of imagination saying, well, what can we do with this robotic hand? How can it help others? What, what can it be used for? Or even um, an egg drop, the egg drop experiment from physics that everyone knows. But if you put a spin on it and say, well, what if you're trying to deliver a fragile product to someone? And I think one of the kids in our class came up with, it was a zombie apocalypse and they were trying to deliver, you know, fragile vaccines to people in a certain area. Um, but I think it really is encouraging that creativity, that imagination and that problem solving using STEM concepts. Imagination being one of the key words there. Yes. When I was reading uh, about your background and you have some background in nanoscience, is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. So if you would, just give us kind of uh, an overview of what does nano actually mean? Uh, so I guess nanoscience would be the study of very small objects that are, you know, less than a, a micron um, in dimension. I, I wish I could explain it better. Um, but I would say very, very, very small particles. And so what I was studying in school was developing size and shape-specific nanoparticles that would preferentially target lung cancer tumor tissues. So I, w I was trying to develop a way to get rid of uh, side effects with, with chemotherapeutics by very specifically targeting lung cancer cells. And I'm actually surprised that, you know, there is so much study of nanoscience and nanotechnology, but we actually haven't got as, as far along as I thought we would in, in the field of nanoscience. So it's very interesting. It's still very, it's still very unknown. And that's fascinating. And when you say that it was focused on, in this case, with the lung cancer, and that uh, wanting to 
help others, wanting to uh-huh. really make a difference in the world is something that is important to you. But you are also making that an element as you are teaching these young women, uh, regardless of what age. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone should follow their passion. I think when you follow your passion, you're going to be successful in life because you you will put in, you know, 40 or 60 or 80 hours of work doing something that you're really engaged and passionate about. And especially if it involves, you know, trying to really benefit others or help the world or, um, you know, anything, I would say more like social entrepreneurship that really attracts girls. But for me, that's really what has always kind of motivated me, even with writing Venture Girls, my motivation was to be able to have more parents and teachers who were able to kind of spread this mindset to others. So because there's a stat that about 65% of kids in school right now won't have jobs that we can even imagine. So we need to be teaching girls and all kids these entrepreneurial concepts so that they can be able to be seeking out and creating opportunities and maybe even coming up with their own careers. It's so fascinating and so exciting. So the book is new, but of course, then readily available at any of our favorite book sources, correct? Yeah, you can find it on VentureLab.org, Amazon, Books Million, Barnes & Noble, Target, pretty much anywhere books are sold. So it's a great guide, lots of great stories, so a really good read and even though it's about science, it's written in language that we can easily read and work with. So definitely very user-friendly and so inspiring, as are you, Crystal Glanchai. So I thank you so much for who you are and sharing this passion with us. It's just wonderful. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I, I hope we were able to inspire some parents and teachers out there. That is truly the goal, and I I trust we've done so. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Crystal Glanchai and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Paul Zeitz. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, and I hope you do want to, Find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage, click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of feeling bold. Be bold, be empowered, and embrace a healthy, healing future. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Enjoy a special Father's Day.